this morning, I will be starting a new series on the God's roadblocks to hell. Why this theme, God's roadblocks to hell? Because it is a fact that in the last decades, especially here in North America, we stopped to preach on the reality of hell. We are intimidated by the fact that many people say, how can a loving God send people to hell? We will look on this series how to answer this question. It's a legitimate question and deserve a legitimate answer. So this morning, allow me to say that though we need to be in awe of God's grace, also we need to be considering the fact that if we have not Jesus Christ in our hearts, there is a final destination that is not very pleasant for those who will be in. So we are praying that the Holy Spirit will help us to understand that we are standing on grace and we don't need to be afraid. As a church, I'm so glad to say that more than the hell, Jesus came to give us hope and uh, eternal life. So praise God for this. And we are standing on the promises that Jesus made when Peter uh, declared Jesus as the Son of God. So the foundational text for this series will be in Matthew chapter 16. We'll be reading only two verses. And then we will go to the test of the first part of the sermon. Matthew chapter 16 from verse 17 to verse 19. May God add his own blessing to our hearts as we read his blessed word. In Matthew chapter 16 from verse 17 we read, And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. What is the rock? The declaration of Peter, Jesus being the Son of God. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Praise the Lord. So we are standing on this foundational truth that Jesus Christ is building up his church. And the devil, as much we think is powerful, cannot destroy the church of Jesus Christ. We are standing on the truth, on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. And we are building up on the teachings of the apostles. And we are individually a stone in God's temple. We are building up together the temple of the Lord. So praise God for this truth. And uh, as a first part of this series, I will uh, title the uh, this sermon, Jesus taught grace, but I emphasize hell. You understand what I'm trying to say? Jesus taught us grace, but he emphasized also the danger of hell. So we'll be reading on John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. It's one of the most known passages of the Bible. Uh, usually we stop at John 3, 16. But <laughs> let's continue to see what the Bible says. 
John chapter 3, verse 16 to 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his holy son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You see what is the plan of God? He didn't come. He didn't come to condemn, to send us to hell. He came to save us from hell. That's the mission that Jesus had. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Son of God. Praise God for his word. So those salvation... Through this verse, we understand it's offered to everyone. There is a, another part of this truth. That though salvation is offered to everyone, not everyone will be saved. That's a reality. Despite God's offer of redemption and salvation through Jesus Christ, not everyone will be redeemed. Because men will choose to reject the Son of God. This has been evident through the centuries, but it's still evident in our days. But you know, grace is a glorious alternative to hell. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And those who could trust Him, those who are willing to trust the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, they will be saved. There is no condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says that justified by the blood of Jesus, we have peace with God. So there is no fear in those who believe in Jesus. Hell is not the centerpiece of history. Jesus is. And let's be clear that more than be scared of hell, we should be grateful for Jesus that came on this earth. Amen? Amen? Amen. I, let me share a little testimony, personal testimony. I was baptized when I was 14 years, uh, less one week. And the reason why I got baptized, I shared this even at the baptismal class last week. It was because I was scared of hell. But I didn't have already met Jesus. In my heart. And I thought, because I had this misconception that being baptized in water will give me salvation. And so I say, let me baptize, even if I'm not ready, at least I will be saved. But when I accepted Jesus Christ as a, my personal Savior, I was not scared of hell. I fell in love with Jesus. And He satisfied my soul. And I can say to you that He's still satisfying my soul after so many years so Jesus is the centerpiece of history and today we are proclaiming his grace you see today in the church in the Christian church there is a common vision concerning the doctrine of hell we have three main different streams of uh, seeing hell and all of those three uh, streams of hell have their foundation apparently in the scriptures and they have origin at the beginning of the early church. 
And I want to show you briefly, because that's not the point of my sermon this morning, but I want you to inform what are those streams, to be informed of what are those streams. The first is the eternal torment position. It is what it sounds like. Hell is a torment, a suffering that goes on forever. And uh, some people, they say, it's just the separation with God that will bring that torment. The souls that stop to, and to accept Jesus and reject him. Or it will be a torment on uh, uh, the lake of fire forever. Is that concept of suffering, eternal sufferings. And uh, this goes back to Tertullian, one of the so-called father of the church. He was the one that first, uh, beside the teaching that we have in the Bible, put it as a systematic doctrine. And then St. Augustine of Hippo uh, made the doctrine very clear. And then we have the annihilationism. Uh, it means that your soul will be reduced to nothing. So it means that you will disappear. Your soul will be destroyed. Immortality will be given only to those who are believers in Christ. Those who have not believed in Christ will be uh, dissolved in nothing. But this doctrine very appealing to our days. Origin from uh, Irenaeus. Uh, there was another father of the church around uh, 130 and 200 after Christ. And Justin Martyr. The, another so-called father of the church. And then you have the third position. That is the universalism position. There is no hell. Because God at the end will save everybody. God's love will save everybody. And this I believe is the most dangerous doctrine that can be preached behind the pulpit. This kind of teaching is very, very popular. Because who wants to go to hell? Nobody. So to know that despite what you do in life, God's love at the end will bring you to heaven is something that is very, very appealing. And people like uh, Rob Bell or Carlton Pearson. But again, this is not my point here to debate, but I want you to be informed. But is this the truth that we have in the word of God? Having said that, let me go to the second point of this uh, Sermon. We must allow the Bible to shape our theology and not force our theology to change what the Bible says. We have to take our theology from the unchanging Word of God. I believe that it's very important that we stay on the unchanging Word of God. Because the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is given to us. How we can relate it to the Bible concerning this doctrine? Let me say something. The Bible is a book of revelation and not explanation. What I mean with that? First of all, the Bible is given to us by the Holy Spirit... To reveal God to us. And he's giving us what is important to understand in a very simple way. His will for us. But the Bible has not as a main goal, a main purpose to explain things to us. You see, God gave us the Bible not to hide himself. He always Give us just enough to activate faith in our hearts that we may believe what is evident in his word. 
You know, this brings to say that the Bible was given to people that were Hebrews in their formation, in their training, in the way of thinking. We have the temptation to look at the Bible under the influence of the Western way to see things. Our way to reason finds its origin in the Greek-Roman analytic way to examine stuff. So we have a problem, we have to solve the problem, and if there is not revelation the problem, we try to add a solution to the problem. Though it's not revealed in the Bible. The Hebrew way says, God says this, and this is what we believe, and what we have not, we simply trust God. And you know, for an Hebrew person, to add something that was not written was a, almost a blasphemy. That's why in the book of Revelation, you find that it's cursed those who will add words to this book. Make sense to you and I this? I believe that trusting God, trusting the loving God, is something that we should take into consideration more than find explanation to. Not to reject our intelligence. No. But we must activate faith in the word of God. So it means that we have to take the Bible, even on the doctrine of hell, and trust God that he knows more than we do. And I'm sure that people went through this uh, terrible devastation of the hurricane Dorian. We say, why me, God? Yesterday, I was in a funeral of a young lady. And uh, thinking about that, I could say to you why the young life was taken away. You see, we have no answer to this. But simply, let's trust God that reveal himself as a loving and caring and compassionate God. We must trust God in everything. You see, God's revelation gives us glimpses of heaven and earth. And hell. We have not clear in our mind how heaven will be. At the same time, we don't have all the answers on how hell will be. But we know that there is an heaven and there is a hell. I want to give you an illustration. Try to imagine that uh, uh, extraterrestrial uh, individuals are coming to visit the earth. And I'm landing just in this century. And whatever they see on earth is just this place. And they need to bring a report to their own planet. So whatever they give is a glimpse of what earth is. Is complete? No. They miss to see what is outside. What is the beauty of what the planet is. At the same time, the Bible is in this way. We have just a, a partial revelation of what heaven and hell will be. That's why we have to trust whatever the Bible says because this is sufficient, is enough for us. So the purpose of the Bible, again, is to give us information on the revelation of the God that came to save. The Bible reveals the existence of hell plain enough to be understood by simple people. Think one moment. The Bible was not revealed to 
people of high education. You had prophets like uh, Daniel that was very educated. But you have a prophet like Amos. Amos was a, a shepherd. He was tending cows. But God called him to be a prophet. So you have this different aspect or ratio of the revelation that was given to people. So because of that, we need to understand that God has given to us few elements that are so clear that cannot be questioned. In many reference, especially in the, the Old Testament and Psalms, we find this word, Sheol. This Sheol was a place where everybody will go after death. It is not a place of an annihilation. You see, Jesus was uh, the great theologian of hell. Now, having said that, the Gehenna or Jenna, according to other way to pronounce it, was the place on the valley of Hinnon, at the south side of Jerusalem, that was a garbage dump where the body of the dead people sometimes were thrown it or the garbage, all the refuse that they were in the city were burned. It was a, a place of destruction, a place characterized by this burning fire all the time. And Jesus spoke to that generation, identifying hell with that place. This word hell, or Gehenna, was in the Greek version of the Bible, the New Testament, 12 times. On this 12 times, one times was used by the Apostle James, the brother of Jesus, that wrote to the epistle of James. But for 11 times, Jesus spoke about hell. Jesus speaks of eternal fire and punishment as the final residence of the angels and human beings who have rejected God. In Matthew chapter 25, from verse 41 to 46. And again, it says that those who give in to sin will be in danger of the fire of hell. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 22 and 18, verse 8 to 9. According to Jesus, eternal punishment was a fact and taught, and taught it such as a fact. It was not even a question, a doubt. And you see, what for us is a, a question mark, for Jesus was reality. And I believe that we should take in consideration that. Because maybe we are tempted to see the justice of God inconsistent with the love of God. But as a, we have a loving God, we have also a righteous God. And the justice of God and the love of God, they walk together. You cannot separate the justice of God from the love of God. And you cannot separate heaven from the concept and the reality of hell. And Jesus made very clear this concept. So how we can see hell for us? How we can see the teachings of the Bible? We will see these things more clearly in the other messages. But just today, I want to give you an introduction. From my point of view, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will bring this in our hearts. Hell is a, a warning. 
is a, a wake-up call for all of us. Not only for those who have not believed in Jesus, but also for us as a believer. Because if we understand the reality of hell, and we understand how dangerous is to be in that place, we also will be moved to share the gospel to other people. Amen. And I believe that the church needs to be aware that if we are not doing our job as a propagator of the good news, many people, they go to that place. And when you think many people, don't think about people that will be maybe in the remote region of Amazonic forest or other place. But your own family, your own circle of friends. I want to give you an illustration on that. You know, many times we hear about cancer. And one thing when you know that somebody that you have no relationship got that sickness. Another thing is when this happened to a circle of dear ones that you have. Your compassionate level is increasing exponentially. Why? Because you have a relationship. Now, my brothers and sisters, think one moment. And this starts with me. I have family members. I have brothers, sisters-in-law that are not saved. And breaks my heart to know that one day, though are this my blood, will not be saved. They have a destination that waiting for them. Do you understand how church must be awaked? This reality is a, a wake-up call. And I believe that we have the greatest news. The gospel brings salvation, brings hope, brings redemption. The gospel of Jesus Christ is called good news. And today we are here to proclaim that Jesus came, as we read in our text in John 3, 16 to 18, not to condemn, but to save, to save. And when you think of people that are closer to you in your circle, think that Jesus came to save them, to spare them from the torment of hell. The function of hell is to alert us to the destructiveness of our actions too. You see, when Jesus talked about judgment, he brought some very practical analogies to the people that were listening to them. He spoke about dividing, separating the sheep from the goats. They were shepherds. They understand the difference between a sheep and a goat. But again, Jesus didn't do it with intention to condemn somebody and save others. It was due to their action. It was due to the consequence of the rejection of the Son of God. And today we can see that we have the same responsibility. We must be careful. Our actions have consequences. We are not immune from the love of cause and effect. If you trust Jesus, you know that your life is safe. Doesn't mean that you are perfect, but your trust is in Jesus. You have a new heart. 
You have a new vision now. You are directing your life no more towards hell, but you are directing your life toward eternal life, heaven. That's why we speak about conversion. There is a redirection of our path, our walk. And I believe, my brothers and sisters, that as a church, we must proclaim the gospel without no fear, without no intimidation, knowing that the gospel can change the eternal destiny of people that are around us. That's the power of the gospel. And as a church, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us to do this job. In the Bible, we have a, a, a beautiful story of the prophet Jonah that went to preach to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah rejected that at the beginning. He ran away from God. And you know why he ran away from God? Because he knew that the message of repentance would have been effective in the city of Nineveh. He ran away. We know the story. He was swallowed by a big fish. And then deep inside the belly of that big fish, he cried out to God and God allowed him to be brought to life, to the shore. And from there he went back to Nineveh. And he started to preach repentance to the, to the city. He said, if you don't repent, God will punish and destroy this city with a fire. And then after he spoke, he went out of the city waiting. His preaching saved 120,000 people. It's the greatest campaign that I see in the Bible. We think that the greatest one was in Jerusalem when 3,000 people believed. And anyway, 120,000 people believe in God. And they repent. And they came to repentance because of the message of Jonah. And Jonah, instead to be happy, what happened? He went under a tree and he said, I knew God. I knew God. You have a compassionate heart. You saved him. And he was upset for this. My brothers and sisters, let's rejoice for those who have been saved and those who the Lord will call, those who are on the way. Let's continue to have hope that people will escape from hell. You see, hell was not the original plan of God for humankind. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. That's what Jesus said. If we look at Isaiah chapter 14 from verse 12 and 15, um, though uh, is no name that the name uh, uh, Satan, this passage is referring to, to the devil. In Isaiah chapter 14 verse 12, 15, it says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you will lay the nation's law. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mounts of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is what Satan was planning to do. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. This is what God prophesies and the sentence is given to Satan. And Jesus is revealing that again in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, where he says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, 
into the eternal fire. Listen now. Prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Unfortunately, Satan, the archie-enemy of God, is trying to bring so many people in can with him. He knows that he's condemned already. The sentence was not applied, but is given to him. So what he tries to do is try to convince the people like you and I that hell doesn't exist, that there is no consequence for those who are sinning, that there is no consequence for those who are rejecting Jesus Christ. It was not the same in the Garden of, uh, of Eden. He told Adam and Eve, God lied to you. It's not true what he said that you will die. He said that because the moment that you will eat of the tree, of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, you will become like him. You see how he distorted the truth and deceived Adam and Eve? And the same deception is given to us today. People are living like the days of Noah, say Jesus, in the last days. They will think that everything is okay. Let's have a party. Let's have fun. But the judgment of God will come. And unfortunately, there are people that have been deceived by Satan. And they are falling in his path. And that's why we need the church to proclaim salvation. To proclaim grace. You see, the horror of hell shall deepen, shall deepen our gratitude for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If we don't understand what we have been spared believing in Jesus, we will not understand how grateful we should be towards Jesus. And how we deserve everything. You see, all that God is asking us is to accept Jesus Christ. You see, through the fall of Adam and Eve, our ancestors, sin was introduced on this earth. And men in their own could not be escaping from sins, the consequence of sins. So God in his compassion sent Jesus Christ so that all the wrath of God will be placed on Jesus Christ. All the sins of humankind will be placed on the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And this was even before the creation of the world but for those who are rejecting the sacrifice the costly sacrifice because grace is given to us for free but is not cheap it cost the son of God to die on the cross for you and I and when you are rejecting Jesus Christ and the sacrifice you are rejecting the son of God you are rejecting the way to escape judgment. You are rejecting the love of God for you. And that's why we should think that a rejection of Christ, not following Christ, is being aligned with the plan of the devil. That is plan of destruction. Jesus said in chapter 10 of the Gospel of John that the enemy comes to do what? To steal from us. To destroy and the final to kill us. That's a, a strategy. And we cannot ignore that. We must take alignment with the position of grace of God given to us by Jesus Christ. Because if 
it's true that hell is prepared for the angels that follow Satan and this chief, Satan himself. The Bible says in Psalm 9, verse 17, The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations, that all the nations, look, the nations that forget God. Another version says that reject God. Let me conclude with some final application briefly. Failing to believe in Christ will determine our eternal destiny. And I want to say something here that maybe will shock somebody. Contrary to what many believe, is not the atrocity of your sinful action that will stop you to get to heaven. Doesn't matter if you, though you are murdered. Sometimes we make this difference between Hitler or Bill Laden to be more closer to our age or some criminal. It's not the atrocity of your sin that will stop you to reach heaven. But it's the rejection of Jesus Christ. It's the rejection of the Son of God. It's the rejection of the one that died on the cross. That's why even for the greatest sinners of this world, there is always time for redemption. And there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. Unless the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is no verbal in itself. It's the rejection of the Son of God. So let's be careful. John says again, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in him in the name of the Holy Son of God. My dear brothers and sisters and friends, if we reject Jesus Christ, we are already condemned. There is no need for judgment to take place. We are all going to face an eternal destiny one day. One day we'll be appearing before the judgment of God. We can escape hell by trusting Jesus. And I'm so grateful for the men in this building that they put their trust in Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. There are two judgments that will take place. One for the church. It is not a sentence that will be given to you because of your sins, but because of your redemption. You will be rewarded with different crowns, the Bible says. But there is the second judgment, the white throne, that will take place in the second resurrection where people will be resurrected for judgment, for condemnation. And I pray that you will choose today to make Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you have not made the confession of faith, the Bible says that if we believe in Him, we are saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe it in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. So we can direct our lives in the right direction now. Heaven. Jesus has paid already the price for you and I. We have been redeemed. 
There is no chance that will be put aside if we keep our eyes on Jesus. And Hebrews says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So we must look at him. And if you're not, have made that decision, please act now. Our lives don't belong to us. It belongs to our creator. And I pray this morning that we all make that decision to follow Jesus. Can you stand with me, please? Praise your holy name, O oh God. Thank you, O oh Lord. Thank you, Jesus. As we reflect on these words that we received, if you already made that decision, just express your gratitude to the Lord. Take a few moments to say, Lord, thank you for granting me salvation, O oh God. Express your trust in God. Your appreciation for what Jesus did for you on Calvary. But if you have not, if you have not made a decision to trust God, I pray that this day will be the beginning of this new life in Christ. And you make a declaration to Him. And I want to lead you. Only if you have not accepted Jesus Christ in your heart. You can repeat a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I believe that you die on the cross for my sins. To pay the penalty of my sin. I accept your offer of forgiveness and free pardon. According to God's promise, I confess that I owe you my life and hereby pledge my total allegiance to you as my Lord and Savior. I now believe that God is my heavenly Father and that my destiny is and lies in heaven. I thank you in Jesus' name.